Hi, everybody. This is Lori, and I am the founder and CEO of a company called Inclusivity, and we are all about sustainability and justice. And I am also the author of a new book, You Can Save the World. In fact, you're the only one who can, which talks about simple tips you can use to live a more sustainable life. This is our podcast, Inclusivitalks Sustainability. And on our podcast, we like to have amazing and talented, smart people who are interested in creating a sustainable future, which for us means environmental, racial, and economic justice, and people who are creative and use their creativity um, to, to enhance their own life as well as the lives of others. And today on our podcast, we are incredibly thankful to have Christopher Bell, who is a, I want to make sure I, I um, use the correct terms, a retired military major, army major, doctor of education, and a longtime lecturer on race relations. So um, Chris, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for inviting me, ma'am. Thanks so much. Well, it I is my pleasure. It. So, Chris, we have a whole host of things to talk about today, but I'd like to start by asking you just to tell us sort of where are you in your life? What are you doing right now? I'm spending full time writing and studying, learning as much more as I can and trying to get out a couple of other books. I'm working on two books simultaneously, mm -hmm. one a book of poems, uh, another a book, a novel. And I find that uh, life for me is pretty good. I am productive and I'm not ill. And when I say productive, I mean I am in search of that freedom, uh, that soulfulness, uh, that respect that a guy at my age should be able to gather from the universe. Uh, the, what I really am trying to do, I'm one of the lucky guys who got a doctor of education and I just can't use that to make a living. I didn't need that to make a living. There is something I must do with that. Mm -hmm. And I can plant some seeds of information that will help people if they will gather it. Now, I recognize everybody isn't ready for what I come forth with. But there are those who are. And there are those who don't know whether they are or not. But my bringing forth what my truths are about the world we live in, America, America's white supremacy conditioning and its hypocrisy gives me a space where I can be on the hill and let people know where we are in this whole ram rowdy sense of who we are. You see, one thing most of us don't know, we haven't tried to define ourselves. What is my space? Where am I compared to where I want to be? And how do I get there? And get there with the least amount of havoc to others. You see, because there, there just isn't enough space at the top of a pyramid for everybody. Right. So you got to work your way up 
with the concurrence of those you're working your way with. So I'm a writer, but I'm not famous. Uh, one of the people said the other day that you have the poor experts and you have the rich experts. I'm one of the poor ones. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm expert, but I'm the reason and that, that I have run into you is because I was seeking a way to get heard, to get my message out. Not so much for me. I can live the rest of my life in pleasant second place for a while. Mm -hmm. My job is to plant seeds, to grow trees, mm -hmm. to provide shade for those who come after me. That's my job. I love that. And, uh, and, and, I, and I love my role, and I can't help but get enthusiastic when I talk about it. Now, in the, the National Publicity Conference, I had two books I wanted to come forth with. But when I started talking to the coach, the coach said, we're not that much interested in the books as we are in you. Sell yourself. Well, selling myself, I would have to move the primary book I had in mind and get to the guts of what I had in mind that's me, this belief factor. Yeah. That is where, this is my first book, really heavyweight book, I called it, because uh, you find seven pages of references and all yeah. this. I my saw point. those. <laughs> but my point is that this book, and it's a little green cover. If you read it, you'll see how we have been bamboozled, for lack of a better term, into believing, I'm talking about black people, in a, in a white savior. Huh? We don't have a white savior. Our dependence, our getting along, depend on normal white people and ourselves. All right? There, there is no coming back for something to pick us up and take us in, in terms of heaven. My problem is educated black preachers don't want black people to know this. Why? Because what they got now is a good going business. This cap is my symbol to the people who know me as my campaign cap. Okay. I'm a campaigner for secular humanism. Yep. All right. You've got with, with that being the case, I am saying get rid of your myths. The key to human beings getting ahead remains with human beings. Mm we determine what's good, what's bad. We determine the ups and downs of where we're going. Not some omnipotent person up there. The universe will do its thing regardless of what men do. The universe always has the last stone to throw. Yeah. But we 
we develop our own moral code. We develop our own political system. We determine what we're going to teach in school. We determine our relationships with the savages or the unspeakables. Not some omnipotent person. Don't put it on something. It's in us. And until we can, we being black people can realize that this bamboozle has kept them feeling second class for the last 400 years in America and the last thousand years since the, uh, just the, the continent sent out its explorers and conquistadors. But it's hard. People don't want to be dealt cards that in some way contradict what they have lived with and depended on all their lives. And I have to respect that. Yes. I have to respect that. Of course. All I can do. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, go go right on. Oh, I was just going to say, I would love to back up for a minute, if you don't mind. Sure. Because I'd really like to ask. So it sounds to me like you are sort of a crusader for changing people's mindsets and for changing the way we interact with each other and kind of understand the world, that there is not some white God up in heaven judging us, making white people closer to God than um, Absolutely. That's where I am. And it sounds like um, that's a passion of yours, and you've come to that, and now what you want is to share that message and spread that message. I want to know how a little bit about how you got here. So I'd like to look at and you know talk a little bit about Christopher Bell as a child. What is it that that brought you to this place where you're saying, okay, we need to change the narrative, we need to change the dialogue? Let's start with my. Mother was killed in an automobile accident when I was 10, 10 years old. I had four younger sisters, all right? And I said at that time, I didn't know why God took my mother. Now, this is a 10-year-old thinking. I said, I will be the best 10-year, 11-year, 12-year-old that there can be, so God will give me my mother back. Mm. My thinking that, hey, he took her, but he made a mistake. I can get her back. And this is a little thing going in my mind. I'd been going to church, but it's just games with getting like people, you know, kids playing and all that. Mm-hmm. But I took it seriously at the age of 12 to find out what God wanted me to do to get my mother back. Mm-hmm. So, lo, I'll go to the library, a pretty good reader, and look at some books, and I see all these religions. I'm amazed. So I start taking them out, reading them as a 10-year-old, just not thoroughly, but skimming through them and and reading the Bible a little here and there at the same time. And I said, okay, this is what I'll do. For the next three years, I'm going to work as hard as I can to be the best student I can and do all the right things I can. And that's it, even the score. And I get my mother back. But during that period, I was reading. I was reading about uh, Hinduism. I was reading about 
Hinduism. And I said, my goodness, we got all these things. But at the end of three years, when I was 13, I had concluded that this God deal was a myth. Mm. It was a myth, just like you told me about Santa Claus coming down the chimney. We didn't even have a chimney. It's a myth. Okay. So, but I wasn't in a position to say anything like that at 14. My dad was a Sunday school superintendent, a member of the choir, a member of the deacon board. And I had gotten to the point of, at 14, of teaching the adult people at that Sunday school what these passages in the Bible meant. So when I talked about the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, they didn't know what I was talking about. I talked about the geography and the Mediterranean. They didn't know what I was talking about, but I was teaching at 14. Mm-hmm. And then I said, hey, who am I fooling? One Sunday morning, my sister next to me, under me, said, saw that I wasn't dressing up for Sunday school. She said, uh, Junior, they call me Junior. My dad is a senior. She said, aren't you going to Sunday school? I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm out of that now. So I heard her run to tell my dad, Junie isn't going to Sunday school. That's what she told him. Mm-hmm. So he comes to my room, pushes into the door, said, boy, what is your problem? And I said, dad, this is a 14-year-old. God didn't make man in his own image. Men made God in theirs. and he." stepped back, looked at me and backed out of my door, didn't turn his tell his eye on me as well. He thought I was gonna throw something and backed out of my door. And my sister ran to him and said, Daddy, is he going? Is he going? He said, Leave him alone. He's gonna be all right. Just leave him alone. So he gave me space. But he also in his heart of hearts knew I was telling the right thing. Now, in our dining room, we had a big picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and a beam coming down and his head lighted up and central peace. I said, Dad, do we really need that? Do we really need that? He looked at me and he took it down. Wow. I'm a 14-year-old now. And he took, took it down. He, for some reason, he gave me space, and that was good. But that's how I started on this crusade I'm on. For, oh, for the next 15 years, I let people go their way, and I went mine. Of course, I introduced my kids to Sunday school because they could learn some good morals from mm-hmm. the teachings. But then I looked around. And I saw so many bad things happening to black folk, and we were the most religious people on earth. We are the most religious people in America. And we're going to jail, we're on drugs, we're beating children and wives and can't get work, dropping out of school. What's going on? Fortunately, 
I avoided some of the teenage problems that many of them. I went into the military, served there, had problems there with people who had a problem with someone who's a little bit assertive. For example, commanding officer told me, why do black men always wear mustaches? I had a mustache in it. I said, I was wondering why all white men don't. Well, that, that would be my my, my my response. You know, and he got a hmm and wouldn't say anything. But this is the way, way it's been. I guess you might say I didn't take slights very well. All right. And, and yet I, you were able to rise to the rank of major? Yeah, yeah but... Uh, I should have been higher. <laughs> okay. I, I should because uh, I, I did run into some people who had a problem, uh, but that's another that's another story. That's another story, yeah. Another story, uh, but it is a good story. People know learn who you are, and um, don't step on your toes. Anyway, I looked around and saw the problems going on. I came out of the military, and that's a pretty. Uh, forward-looking organization. If any institution in America is doing anything to help race relations, the military is in the forefront. Okay. I can tell you that. They're in the forefront. But I stopped past Boston to get a, an education and looked at the school desegregation problem there. I was there during that period of time. Look how the white kids and the black kids tried to make it and how the parents reacted and how the government got a hump in its back and all. And then I said, hey, let me take a closer look. And once I got below what was on the page, under that was a deal that black folk have adopted a white God as their savior. This can't be anything but destructive to them, no matter what is happening otherwise, if they have this problem. And so I started looking at this and started doing some more reading, and it's true. I was in Ethiopia. They had painted their God black. I was in Japan. They'd given in in Vietnam. They'd given their Lord and Savior slanted eyes. All right. I looked in Ghana, and he, he went to Ghana though. Ghana had a white god like the blacks in America, and giving their children white dolls mm-hmm. as opposed to natural looking dolls. A mind was messed up. And then I ran into some people who are humanists like me with the same deal that, hey, we got to get out of this mind. This is the last chains of slavery. The Christian white God myth that has so many, you might say, recurring problems that go back to that. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe you're number one, 
you're going to act otherwise. If you believe you are number one in the universe, you're going to act like that. Black people are told by what I call so many instrumentalities in our culture that we are not number one. Whites are number one. Their education, their politics, their government, their police system, their judicial system all tell them that they are number one and all tell me I may be number two or three or four. But the key to it is to get rid of the God complex that has been laid on us. See, if you look at it, blacks got their Christianity from their slave masters. A good, diligent slave master will never give a slave anything that can empower him. Never. It wouldn't let you read anything, but will give you the belief enough what I call a crying blanket and a hope for a better life with a better Savior in the sky, white Savior. We know we being the educated, the intellectual black guy knows this to be so, but He'll lose his job if he's trying to teach that as a professor. He wouldn't be able to get his tenure if he tries to make that known to his colleagues. I am not burdened with that type of thing. I'm free to open my mouth and speak and let the words fall where they will. Now, before I wrote the book, well, after how just long after, ago? How long ago did you write the book, Chris? Uh, 2001. Okay. 2001. I took this to a leading dean of theology at one of the leading universities, black universities in this country. He told me, he said, black folk don't give a damn about the Council of Nicaea or the Council of Chaucer John. They just want Jesus to save them. And the black preachers will not support you, Chris, in this. So let's just let sleeping dogs lie. Mm -hmm. This was a preacher telling me. Let sleeping dogs lie. You see, you can get comfortable living in second class. Mm -hmm. And thank you, God, it made. Because, you know, there are people in third class and fourth class. But if black folk are to ever realize themselves as a grand creation, as much as any other person, race, whatnot, they are going to have to drop that Christianity in terms of the belief system. Go to humanism, which puts the onus on human beings, not on some imaginary race. So I started working and reading, but I say, look, I'm not going to throw Christianity out. I went to a Bible college. Yeah. Went to a Bible college, and the first course was a survey of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. In the very first class, the professor said the earth is 6,700 and so many years old. 
That's what he said. Yeah. Teach. And some smart guy said, "Say, how do you figure that?" Said, uh, uh, "The we we picking up all kinds of things, bones and things, and millions of years old." The first said, "God made the world look like that." That was the answer. So of course I flunked that course, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't give up. Yep. I went to the second semester where there was a survey of the New Testament. And we looked at you got to you're born in sin and women can't do this and there's going to be a coming back in and said nothing of course in there was about Jesus being God's son. Because Jesus himself said that God is only one. But the thing is it was all hocus-pocus and mirrors and smoke. So I found that too. Nevertheless, I said then, let's see what's in Islam. Mm -hmm. What do they have? So I went to the mosque, pledged, joined, and they teach a religion that takes your freedom away. But it doesn't put Jesus Christ in your Savior basket. You don't need that. They say he was just like any ordinary prophet. Mm -hmm. That was one plus for them. But then to understand it, they say you have to learn Arabic. Hell, if, if I needed to know Arabic to be saved, I would have been born in it. Why do I have to now learn a language to get saved? So that was another thing that told me that this isn't making. Plus, they uh, assume the custom and dress of the Arabs. Why? That's subordinating your own culture. I'm American, as American is going to get. I own part of this country. All right. Why should I change? from my dashi, if I want to wear it, to an Arab role. So I saw that as a, going off in the wrong direction for no particularly good purpose. Then I'd always thought that man's future depended, of course, on the universe and himself. And I looked for a word for that, and I went back to my college text, and there was a word called humanism. Humanism. I said, this fits me. This fits me. It's like I was going down an aisle of books to find out which one was my, hey, that's where I am. So that's where I am now. You can, the, the fellow in Islam believes there is a God and a creation they separate i don't believe that i believe the creation itself is a manifestation of god the creation i can't think of anything greater and neither can anyone else but and i'm talking about the stars the planets the right. milky way and all that that's what i'm talking about you look at that and if your mind can come up with something greater than that you're a better person than i am gunga Din. anyway I said, if I can just twitch their thinking a little bit, I can get them to see 
that it is humanism that is away. Then one of my, I guess you call it my nephew, said, well, what are you going to say about Martin Luther King? Mm-hmm. Well, he, he was a Christian. I said, King was a Jesus follower. He didn't say he was a Jesus worshiper, and that's a matter of record. And I say, in winning the freedom that he did win at the time, he didn't cite a thing about Christianity. He didn't say a word about Christianity. He talked about the Declaration of Independence, and that speaks of humanistic trends and desires, pure and simple. Now, if Christianity wants to get out of his box and grab on to humanism, okay. But don't say Christianity helped black folk get their freedom. It didn't. Frederick Douglass said that the most Christian masters that he had seen were the cruelest masters of them all. All right? The cruelest, because they thought they were doing the black person a favor by Christianizing them and uh, civilizing them and whatnot. The idea that we, black folk, are still chained with this thought of a white savior hurts my heart. Mm -hmm. And I have to do everything I can, not to slap them, not to push them all, but open their eyes. Think. All I ask you to do is listen to what I say, and you think where you are now, how things are. In fact, in the recent January the 6th invasion of the Capitol, people were coming in with Jesus flags. Mm -hmm. Jesus flags were being waved. Hey, this is an indication that there are still white people who believe that God made white people better than they made, and he made non-white people, and that the culture should reflect that. That belief is still out there. And do you know, a lot of blacks believe that. My job, I don't have to worry about changing a white guy. I worry about changing a black guy. If I change him, the white guy's got to change because the black guy's behavior will change. Okay, so uh, my job is is pretty simple, straightforward, but it's hard because people don't want to hear it. So that's how I got here, by seeing what was going on, looking at what was happening around me, and trying to explain why. In this book, I got a picture that appeared in the Washington Post. All right. What are these kids learning? They're learning, and you can see how they look at what they're learning. They don't, they're being told that they got a white master. That's what they're being told. Mm-hmm. All right. There's none of that. Now, of course, sometimes my sister jokes me and say, Well, you're the white sheep of the family, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, what would what do you say to people if they say, but I, I believe in God, 
So what about if we remake God so that God isn't white? Because why in the world would God be white? Maybe. So what do you say to people who say that? I, 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 you can call God the universe. You believe in yeah. God, go for it. But don't tell me he's a white male. Yeah. All right? Don't, don't, don't even put him in the form of a human being. Yeah. You, you have personified it, make it easy for you to talk about it. But God is the universe. So that would be my word. Nature is God. Now, Chris, I just want to say and uh, briefly say that one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that, again, for us, sustainability is all about creating a future where everyone thrives. And it sounds like what you're saying is that in order for us to create that future where everyone thrives and create a sustainable future that where we can go forward ourselves and help our neighbors go forward, part of that is rethinking this white God. Of course. Of course. But now I don't want to lay it on you like it's a job you got to do. Yeah. I, I want you to know that my being your neighbor isn't based on some commandments and rules that were written 2,000 years ago. It's based on the sensibility and reasoning of the here and now to get us moving. Now, don't use your God to handcuff me. All right, that that my see my my search is for freedom, of course, mm-hmm. but it's also for respect and what I call a soulfulness. Mm-hmm. The freedom is to be free to speak and go and come without undue restraint. The respect is that you give me the type of attention and courtesy that you expect me to give you. The soulfulness is me to get that sense of oneness with the universe immediately surrounding me. All right. Now, if we can bring every man to that point, everybody won't have a plum tree to sit under. We know that. But we can grow a lot of plum trees. Mm-hmm. All right. And shout, put, make shout out for a lot of people. But unless we get mutual. And you can't get it if I think I am better than you. If I think I am better than you, ma'am, somewhere in the world I'm going to throw some slights in your way. It's part of the my, my education requires me to do that. Mm-hmm. So we got to get that sense, get rid of this white savior complex and know that our future is not based on any of those Abrahamic religions. In fact, uh, I won't speak against them, but I'll tell you that humanism should be raised to the same level as we do those others. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you will have an awakening. And there, there are so many little things and nuances that I would say to one person that I would not say to another person. Because I don't want them to think that, hey, they are lost. I'm just saying, hey, there is a better way. There is a better way, a liberating way than to, hey, fall prey to unscrupulous preachers and whatnot. So this is my mission. My mission. Okay. And this campaign cap. When you see me wearing it, 
I take it where whenever I'm on a speaking engagement or mm -hmm. going out to meet people, uh, that signifies that I'm here to, to speak if called for. Mm -hmm. I don't always worry, but uh, interesting enough, even in the national publicity deal, I didn't tell straight off what this book was about. Mm -hmm. Because I knew that the listeners, the people we were trying to pitch to, would immediately get the backs up or something. All right. So I had to enter it with tips uh, to minimize racial slights. Yeah. Now, the book goes deeper than that. Right. But that gets me in the door for them to listen. And I push the other information to them as well. So even educated, in fact, my most educated people who are logical in physics and math still have a problem getting rid of the white savior complex. They do. But I don't, I don't beat them. They look at me and smile. I look at them and smile. They know what I'm talking about. Their children are going to be different, though. Christianity has to change. Mm -hmm. When we got something on Mars, sending something to Venus, hey, it has to change. You cannot keep these old-fashioned myths alive in the modern century. The, the manner is now, how do we do it so the present clergy keeps its posture, keeps its prestige? That's, that's the difficulty now. They know better. But they, you, you, we got to fix it so there is a, a way out with dignity for the guy in the pulpit who says, look, I'm not going to preach any Jesus coming back anymore. I'm going to leave that alone. He doesn't have to preach against it. Just leave it alone. Mm -hmm. It'll die of its own. But uh, that's my job. Interesting. And I love it. So, well, and, and um, I love listening to it. So thank you so much so, for sharing this so far. So we've been talking for about half an hour. And I feel like, Christopher, we've, got, we've gotten a really good picture of how you got here and what your goals are for the future. And so what I'd like to do is end this podcast because we try to keep these to about half an hour. We will tape another one. And in the second one, we will talk some more about advice you would give to people who are really starting on this path. I'd also like to ask you where this passion came from for you. So, so at the core of you, what is it that drives you? I'd like to know a little bit more about that. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your other books, the book of poetry and the novel that you're writing. And then I'm going to ask you to just tell us a story from your life. And it can be sort of any story. It can have to do with this or doesn't have to. The goal is just to get to know you a little bit better. So if that sounds okay, I'm going to end this podcast. For anybody who's been listening, this is Inclusiva Talks. And we were talking with um, Dr. Christopher Bell today about um, race relations and the, the difficulty and negative impact of having a white God that um, we are all looking to to save us and how that divides us and is damaging 
And so we'll be back with the second episode. Please tune into the second episode. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Chris. I'll talk to you again in a minute. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. If she's a mountain